Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. You're invited now to take out your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. Uh, We're going to be reading James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, finishing our series here uh, that we've been going in James called Undivided, where we look at how uh, James calls us to a living that is not divided in in how we believe and and the things that we do. Uh, Just a note on this passage, it has a lot um, in it, and a lot of questions that that might come from it, and we're going to, instead of trying to address all of it, uh, focus in on kind of specifically verses 14 and 15, what does it mean uh, to come before God and ask for healing? Uh, But there is more in there. If you want to talk about that whole line of confession that we already talked about earlier, this uh, line about Elijah or the last two verses, uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, There's lots in here again. Uh, With that reminder, let's uh, come before God in prayer. Our Lord and God, as we come here uh, to hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. And shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the way of error will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, So back in 2019, there was a post on Twitter that that got a lot of attention, and it was a, a tragic situation that it was surrounded by. Uh, So someone that had over 250,000 followers, quite a large Christian following, um, one of their children had died, and they were asking for prayers that that child comes back to life. Uh, This particular post kind of got global attention. It had over 150,000 kind of likes on it. Over 60,000 comments were put towards it. There were daily services, and yet... 
uh, there was no answer for their prayer. And this ended up just compounding their grief, these questions that people had before God. It spoke to something incredibly vulnerable for us. They were questioning passages like this. What, what do we do with passages like that and our experiences that can be so hard? This is coupled especially with passages like chapter 5, verse 15, where it says, the prayer offered in faith will make them well, the Lord will raise them up. We can kind of just fixate on particular verses in here, kind of isolate them from the passage, from the rest of what James has to say, and kind of make them say the things that we want. Um, and I want to just spend some time opening up this passage a little bit and rerouting us back into the whole of what James has to say and trying to understand what's going on in this passage. And part of that reflection also comes from my own experience. Uh, I can think back when I read a passage like this, um, I think back to a time where I was in Guinea-Bissau and, and living in Western Africa, and I was traveling with uh, the youth group, we were in a very remote space, and someone had heard that, that there was a missionary in town, and they thought, okay, there's, there's a holy man in town, um, and their children were also very sick, and they brought them before me, um, hoping that this was something that would make them better. And we didn't see uh, the healing take place, and, and I'm sure other people have kind of similar stories where we so long to see healing, um, but it doesn't happen in the, at least the way that we want it. So with that in mind, I'm going to look at this passage, and instead of looking at the whole of it, kind of focus in on verses 14 through 15 for the first part. We're going to look at prayer a little bit more broadly later, but I want to ask this question. Uh, do we believe that healing still happens? Or we can even look at the passage of kind of what's with the oil that's mentioned in there. Or we can also ask, are unanswered prayers simply because of a lack of faith, just the way that it's mentioned, that faith seems to be an integral part of this. So looking at this just immediately, I think we can respond that, of course, yes, we do believe that healing takes place. There's even this command in here that we are to ask um, we're to gather others from the church to pray for healing. Uh, being part of Scripture-believing people, that's a command that we have to respond to. Now, one of the things that might kind of sidetrack us in here is this mention around anointing with oil. I know that gets a lot of attention in, in the commentary, so I'll just mention a couple of options in understanding what's going on there. Uh, why does James mention that? Uh, one of those options is uh, that oil actually had a medicinal qualities in the ancient Near East. So this can be seen as an example of taking uh, medical practice alongside prayer, that these two things aren't to happen independently from one another, that these things can actually happen together. Um, others say that it's more likely that this oil here was used as a symbol of dedication just this visible symbol for the work of God that we are depending on in healing. It's kind of like uh, understanding the Lord's Supper, where we have this very physical reminder of God's nourishment for us. 
here is a, a physical way that we are being reminded of our reliance on God and his spirit to bring healing. Now, what I find interesting in looking at this passage, though, and especially as I try to study it a little bit more deeply, is so much attention went towards the oil piece that it missed the part before. Uh, The people were to call the elders. And one of the questions that might come up in this passage is, is why does it say to call the elders? Are the the people that aren't elders, um, are they not supposed to also be praying? Um, We can almost link this back to verse 16, or ahead to verse 16, where he's saying the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It can almost seem like the the elder's prayer here is being called on because it's going to be more powerful, it's going to be more effective. But this is not what's happening in James. This is not what James's intention is. I think we have to remember how James uses this language throughout the letter as we approach passages like this. For instance, just going back to the prayer of the righteous person there, The righteous person throughout James is this person who has undivided living, who is pointing towards um, living towards God's will in mind. The righteous person is simply one who is striving for undivided living and wholeheartedly seeking God's will. The point that he's making in verse 16 is that the righteous person is rightly directed before God the, the prayer is powerful because they are going before the powerful God who can bring about healing. It doesn't have to deal with the, the person who is praying as much as this direction towards God, this person who is seeking out the will of God. It is God who brings about the healing. Now, to return back then to this note about the elders... If it's not that they have this special quality to heal, then then why does he call for elders to bring this prayer? A lot of the advice, or a lot of the commentaries, will will point towards this actually has to do with maturity. Um, The word for elders here isn't necessarily talking about the office of elders. So it's not saying that if you're sick, you have to get one of the eight people that are elders in our church. That's not the application here. The the word for elders simply means those who have years to their faith. It's kind of in in opposition to people who are young in their faith, that are inexperienced in the Christian life. It's basically saying, uh, we can think of it in terms of just maturity in our life. One of the things that it protects people from then is the the inflated ego that might come alongside healing. Um, The advice reminds us of a story in Acts chapter 8 where where someone named Simon sees that uh, Peter and John are performing these wonderful miracles and he's he thinks, man, those, I would love to be able to perform a miracle like that, and then people would respect me, and people would, I'd have all this attention towards me. So then he actually offers them money to say, well, give me this gift so that I can be performing miracles like this. It's, the, the issue in there was that his heart was in the wrong place. 
James doesn't want young people here to have an inflated sense of themselves to start thinking that they are the ones that do the healing. He calls for people mature in their faith who can attribute healing towards God. James is making a statement that's not just restricting it. He's, he's not saying that this is limited, that healing is limited to the elders. James is encouraging people to seek out those who are grown in their faith, who are mature in their faith, to pray over the sick. The next line here then points towards a prayer offered in faith will make the person well. The Lord will raise them up. This passage has been used to say all sorts of things. Uh, one of them is that essentially if you have enough faith in your prayer, then you're, you're guaranteed that there will be healing. And if there isn't healing, well, that's because there wasn't enough faith. And again, that's just not what James is pointing towards. And there's several reasons why. I won't get into all of them, but I just want to mention a few of them here. First of all, the, the prayer offered in faith. That word faith, again, is a really important word in James. And we've been tracking this throughout our series, if you've been uh, here throughout the series in James. That, that faith has to do not with this kind of intellectual ability or our intellectual uh, belief in God. That's a little bit more how Paul um, describes faith, but faith in James is a little bit different. It has to do with this um, undivided living before God. The person in faith is the one who is aligned around God's will. The point that comes up here is, is, is this prayer for healing, one that is lined up with our understanding of what God's will is in this circumstance. Uh, perhaps this is another reason why it is calling for those who are mature in their faith. It's, it's people that are practiced in discerning what God's will is here. Another thing, just to mention, I don't have this in my notes, but I figure it's, it's worth mentioning here, is in the NIV it translates this part as, will make them well, the Lord will raise them up. Uh, if you translate those passages, uh, that part of the passage more directly from Greek, uh, the, the language is, and the prayer will save them. And what, what's interesting in his language of salvation is that he had the option to say, if we pray for the sick person, they will be healed. That's kind of the natural progression of it. But James doesn't even name healing there. He makes it more ambiguous that this person being prayed over will be saved. Uh, the language for raise them up is the language for resurrection. Um, in every other case throughout the book of James, salvation and resurrection have to do with this end-time view of, of Jesus coming back, that this person will be saved. There is a little more ambiguity than sometimes um, we give in our first readings of the passage. That's just an extra side note there. Uh, just another thing that we want to do when we're reading passages and we come across, so maybe you don't know Greek um, and you won't be able to make those insights, another thing that we can do is just understand that Scripture uh, has to match up. It has to be consistent with what's in the rest of Scripture. 
And we find that if we read more broadly, we can find lots of examples of prayers being offered and not being answered, even though there is plenty of faith behind it. Uh, the classic example there is of Paul, who has this thorn in his flesh, this, this thing that he has prayed for, but has not been taken from him. Uh, another example, uh, perhaps even more uh, drastically, is Jesus has a prayer. He says, in the Garden of Gethsemane, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If we see a request from Jesus not being answered, it may have us second-guess our theology if we demand that every prayer that we pray is answered exactly as we want it. Uh, we see Jesus' words give us a good model there, not as I will, but as you will. It's centered around our understanding, this discernment of the will of God in the midst of this. So, kind of to summarize here, like we, we are to pray for healing. This is something that is actually directed in our passage. But in the midst of this, there is discernment to take place of, of what is God's will in this process. And I think this matters, and I wanted to put a little extra time on this because if we don't have a deeper understanding of it, it can actually be something that causes a lot of struggle in our faith. Think back of the, the example that I started with. There were 60,000 comments on that post in, in Twitter, and if you read through some of those comments, you will see that not all of them are positive. A lot of people, when they saw that, they thought back to their own experience and a lot of pain that they had to unpack. Someone had commented quite simply that they had observed firsthand just the destruction that had taken place because they didn't get this expected miracle. And I can think of my own kind of challenges. This is something personally that I had to unpack and, and work through as well. If, if we have these, these rules or, or we depend kind of on, on extracting kind of single verses from passages, it can actually be something that's quite devastating, it's quite challenging to our faith. We have to evaluate whether or not this is something that Scripture is actually saying. But we also, we, we don't want to be overly cautious with this either. I think there's, there's a balance that we need to be thinking of. We don't need to have every single prayer kind of finished with, if it is your will, and approach prayers with such hesitancy that doesn't seem like we believe that healing could happen. If we want to avoid either side, the, the overly hesitant, but over, also we don't want to be overly confident, um, as that can lead to a lot of hurt and challenge. Now, that has, um, that's kind of a lot that I've been saying towards um, the, the people that are praying and some of the hurt that can cause there, but I also just want to add in uh, the person being prayed for. Uh, there can actually be a lot of challenge for that person as well. And, and I say this uh, because I, I had a friend at Regent who was dealing with a, a long time uh, mental illness, and this is something that they had just lived with. They had, they had begun to understand it as part of them, as something that God had called them to live with. It was part of how they understood themselves, and it even helped shape their understanding of who God is. Yet, when people prayed for them, rarely 
would they even be asked of how they wanted to be prayed for because it was just simply obvious that they needed healing from this thing that they're going through. Uh, For the person, they actually had gone through this long journey of understanding that this is something that they were to live with, and yet it, it wasn't kind of being treated seriously in that way. In these times, the assumption for the need for healing was actually quite hurtful. And this isn't only for people that were dealing with mental illness. I've I've heard the same comment over and over uh, for people that were dealing with chronic pain or uh, chronic illnesses that keep coming back or are longer-term things that they have to live with. There's this common report from them that when they're being prayed for, that they actually don't really feel seen sometimes, that all people see is, is the illness. So sometimes our our insistence for people to be healed actually speaks about a value system that we impose on them, that that you can't be one of us until you are healed, that you can't be thriving in your relationship with God until you're healed. So that's the one prayer that's often offered is for that healing. The, The questions that we can ask too, though, are what if this person wants perseverance or for boldness? to speak God's truth wherever they're placed? What if they want strength to love those in the midst of their challenges? What if they just want the continued refining of the spirit in them? What if there are griefs in their lives or confessions or just regular dynamics of the human life that they need prayer for? So I I bring up kind of these varied cautions because these things have been hurts and things that I've seen on many different occasions. And I don't bring it up because I don't, again, I think that we should be praying for healing. This is something that we should do. But I also want to highlight why James calls for maturity in faith. People who discern God's will, um, there's a need to be people who discern God's will and this maturity in coming before prayer, before God. Now, I think, again, it could be helpful to just name um, that, that there's a spectrum here, too, whenever we talk about prayer, we talk about healing, and that we don't want to be too far on either side of that spectrum. On the one end, uh, we can kind of act as though healing can't happen, and there could be a lack of belief there, but on the other end, we can just elevate um, prayers for healing as the special way that God works and it's, it's the best and kind of only thing that we should really be focusing on. Um, we do well in, oh, I guess, I, I just want to mention too that in, in the CRC, I think often we're in this side, um, that a lot of people don't really have that courage to ask for prayers, and that we, we could use some prompting for boldness to be able to pray for healing. Um, but also, because uh, so many of us at least are um, considered on that side, our only encounter with prayer for healing sometimes are the people that are on the more extreme end that just really think that this is the, the anchor for all of our faith. Uh, what is called for in our passage isn't kind of to be on either end of the spectrum, but simply to be people that come before God with boldness for healing. We would do well 
in actively seeking God's will for what is God calling us in each situation that we come to. This might mean persevering through unanswered prayer. It may mean having the courage to be people that ask for prayer. Uh, Notice in our passage, um, it's not just people going out and praying for sick. It is they are calling the elders to come and pray for them. That might take boldness to ask others to pray for you. And for those praying, it means discernment. It means discernment in how we pray for others. Now, with all of that being said, uh, James addresses a lot more on prayer in our passage. Uh, this, This prayer for healing happens in a bigger context that I think we need to address to understand what James is on about here. And the passage that we read begins with three questions. Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is anyone sick? And all three answers there, the response is that we are to come before God in prayer. The first one he asks, is anyone in trouble? And again, this word for for trouble can be, is anyone suffering? We can think back to just two verses earlier where he looks towards the example of Job as someone who shows this persistence in coming before God in prayer in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of not understanding what's going on. He's kind of turning back to that just a couple verses later. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. And the words let them there aren't just um, that they're allowed to pray. Uh, Some of the translations say they should pray. There's this calling and kind of commanding people into prayer. And the type of prayer that's in there, uh, the verb that's being used for each time that it says let them here, because it's repeated three times, that verb actually calls for continuous prayer. It's not that if they're suffering, they just pray once and then it's done with. They They are to come over and over again before God in prayer. And that prayer is one, whether they're in trouble or whether they're happy. Kind of the the full spectrum of life is taken into account here. Wherever you are, you are to be people that are continually placing ourselves before God. And kind of in that context, it's not really a surprise that that sickness is being named because James is already saying that the whole of the Christian life is to be something that is steeped in prayer. Now, something that we can note, too, though, is that it doesn't actually name prayer. It says that they will sing songs of praise if they are happy. Uh, but we happen to have uh, the, the songbook available to us that James would have used and that community would have used. It's, uh, it's a book called The Psalms. And these psalms don't just Uh, have songs that they would sing, but they were these words that taught people into prayer, bringing all of our emotions, our our feelings, our thoughts before God. And something that's beautiful about the Psalms is that it fits this full range of human experience. If you're suffering, if you're in trouble, or if you're happy and joyful, there are examples in the Psalms that give us language for expressing that before God. Now, I think it's fitting here that this is how James chooses to close his letter here. 
James, throughout his letter, is calling us towards the undivided life. Remember that the undivided life is one where we aren't divided between the things that we believe and the things that we do. And this isn't something that we arrive to on our own. That's something else that we have been focusing on. That, that we don't become undivided just through our own efforts and our own action. That we rely on coming before God in prayer. We reflected on this in the opening verses of the letter. If you go to James 1 verse 5, you'll find that if the person lacks wisdom, they are to ask for it from the God who gives generously. So there's this posture of prayer that's offered in the beginning. Uh, You find again in verse 21 in chapter 1, James says that they are to humbly accept the word that is planted within us. So that's something been at the core of James this whole time, that that we don't um, approach, uh, we don't get to this place of wholeness on our own and through just our personal striving. This is through the work of God. It it is um, humbly accepting that word that is planted within us. And this is something that's really helpful to, to just name because James is a book that's quite famous for just being a call towards action. Uh, James has these really stark lines that call us to do things, yet everything is couched around first being people who pray. We are to be those who submit ourselves before God. We are weaved into wholeness through the Spirit working in us. We are in good times and in hard times bringing our attention towards the sovereign God who shows us the way towards this true wholeness. Now, I think it's suitable then, just to finish here, that that James finishes with this note towards prayer. Uh, James, in the very first verse of his letter, introduces himself as James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the accounts that we have of James as someone that had lived into this and practiced this. And I want to finish here just with a, a, a quote from one of the commentaries that was just giving an introduction to who James is, and I think it, it helps us um, to frame James in a, in a good way as we finish. It says, James does not stand at the beginning, but rather at the end of the way, the narrow and good way that he had chosen in renunciation of everything, pursuing it without a backward look, hasting towards eternity with a strong and ever stronger strides. Uh, James, as I encourage you to take another look at it, throughout it, it's someone writing a letter who has had this wholehearted commitment towards God, and he is encouraging people to do what he has experienced. And the hope at the end of it isn't simply that that we're just encouraged in our faith, but that we are hasting towards eternity with stronger and ever stronger strides, that we are growing in hope together through Jesus as we encounter his word. So may we find that we find ourselves doing the same as we journey forward, that we find the same hope as we anchor ourselves as people in prayer. 
Let's come before God in prayer. Um, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, uh, sometimes we forget how mighty and glorious you are. Sometimes we lack the, the courage and hope uh, for things like healing. And give us boldness to do so as we pursue your will. We pray this knowing that there are many here who have boldly prayed and not seen the results that they had hoped for. For each person, we pray too for healing of the hearts, a healing of memories. We come before you with all of our lives, with our sorrows, our joys, and our pains. And we do so praying for transformation into wholeness for each of us. May we be a people who live in the ways that show that we are undivided, mended by your work in us. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.